Welcome to the Purposeful Parent Podcast, a podcast for inspired parents. I'm Melissa. And I'm Kristen. I'm a parent of two little girls and the founder of Inner Architects. I love guiding parents and giving them a space to meaningfully connect, communicate effectively, break cycles, and learn to intentionally parent their kids. I'm an educator, a children's book author, and founder of Language Ninjas. With Language Ninjas and my books on the power of our words, parents and kids are given tools to empower their language. On this podcast, we are highlighting parents and educators who are choosing to mindfully show up differently for kids. Welcome back to another episode of the Purposeful Parent Podcast. Today, we are talking with Dennis Marolda. Dennis is the founder and CEO of Building Men, a movement dedicated to helping young men become the strongest versions of themselves, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Dennis is the host of the Building Men podcast. He is a former public school teacher, coach, and principal. And Dennis specializes in building men of character, integrity, strength, compassion, and empathy through his transformational uh, mentoring, coaching, and motivational speaking. So. Dennis, thank you so much for being here today. We're really excited for this conversation. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Kristen, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, let's kick it right off because we mentioned building men in your intro. Let's tell the people listening, what is that? What's the origin story? And uh, how'd you get here today? Yeah, sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think we we connected through Enlifted. I'm also an Enlifted coach, yeah. which definitely opened so many doors in my own life. Building men started in 2005 and the origin story really starts in my undergrad in college i did elementary education as my major and i did a dual major in sociology and i really took that major because it was the least number of credits that i could take to graduate (laughs) as a dual major so i was really just trying to look for the easiest way out at that time i also played baseball in college loved it loved the, the 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 teamwork the um, you know, the camaraderie that I felt on the baseball field and a, a kid that graduated a couple of years before me, I was a pitcher. He was a catcher. He started working for this organization. It was almost a halfway house for boys in South Jersey. I went to school in South Jersey. And so I did an internship through my sociology major around um, this, this program. And basically what I did was I would go there and participate in group and individual counseling sessions. So I was doing a lot of observation and then I would jump in every once in a while and assist. And, and then they hired me as a van driver. So after my day at school, what I would do is I would go to this place and pick up a van, like a 12 passenger van, one of the big white vans. And I would drive all over South Jersey and pick these boys up and bring them back to this halfway house. And this was a couple of days a week. And so at three o'clock, I would go pick all the kids up, do this individual and group counseling session for six or seven hours, and then drive them home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And on the drives home, and it's a great parenting tip, you learn so much on the drives. You know, if your kids are on the drives and you're having conversations, or if they're with their friends and you're hearing all the stuff that's going on in the backseat, you learn a lot of things. They don't realize that you can hear them. So I'm driving these kids home and they're, they're, they're letting their guard down and they're talking about real things and what 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 they're worried about, things that are they're excited about. And then I started to chime in every once in a while after I gained their trust. And all of a sudden, I'm having these impromptu counseling sessions as the van driver of these teenage boys. And I was like, I'm onto something here. Whatever you know, way it, it 
worked out. I'm, I'm able to connect with these kids and they were opening up to me and sharing some things that they weren't doing with these trained uh, psychologists and social workers in the other setting. So I was like, I'm going to do something with this in my life in some capacity. So fast forward, I teach for a couple of years, only four years, four and a half years. And I started as an assistant principal, went back and got my master's degree in educational leadership. And I started as an assistant principal in the fall of 2005 in central New Jersey, where I live. And right away, right off the bat, all the issues I was dealing with were with the boys in the school. 90% of my time was with like 20 boys that were getting thrown out of class. They were failing. They were getting into fights. They were doing a lot of the stupid boy stuff that I likely did when I was 13, 14 years old, but it was just worse now. And I decided to start a group to help them. And so I started this boys group. I called it building men. And right off the bat, almost every boy in the school joined this program. And I was taken back by it. I was, I was like, wow, I, I, I must be like, these kids must absolutely love me. It, it wasn't that. It was really, there was a, a girls group that was going on at the same time. We had a girls group in the school called Girls Speak Out. And most of the girls were in this girls group. So the boys are like, well, the girls have their group. I want to be involved in a group. So all the boys join. And lo and behold, I had about 175 boys join this building men program. And so I wound up running like eight groups and I would hold the groups before school started for an hour and the kids were coming and they were, they were participating and they were sharing things that were going on in their life. And, um, and it became something really, really powerful. And after one year, ladies, the suspension rate in our school dropped by 400%. Mm-hmm. after we had the boys involved in a program. So it was a really powerful thing. So that's the origin story of where it started. And it went through a couple of iterations and I learned a lot along the way. And then it turned into, you know, eventually the podcast that I started in July of 2020. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about that age range specifically? Like what is it hormonal? Is it just support that isn't happening at home? What do you think it is about the boys specifically that you were working with? I think a lot of them were, they were lost in what they felt masculinity was. Um, That age range, that adolescent age range, it's the time where they really start to push back. There's a great book for parents out there. It's called Yardsticks and the author is Chip Wood. And basically he talks about developmentally all the way from, I forget what age range, it's like four or five years old, all the way up to high school for each age range of a student. So first grade, second grade, third grade, developmentally, the characteristics, socially, emotionally, intellectually, physically, like what are the benchmarks for the kids at each age level? So I became a student of that and I recognized middle school, adolescent timeframe, it is just a tumultuous time frame for kids. Everything is changing in their life. Like hormonally, they're a total disaster. They're going through puberty. There's, their social groups are changing. They recognize that they, it's not cool for them to hang out with their parents anymore. So they're developing the sense of self, but they really have no clue who they are. So their, their idea of identity, it's, it's very, very morphed. And especially now, I mean, we didn't have social media back when I started the program. It was in 2005. So it was before social media really took hold. But the boys thought about masculinity, and it was basically how I was raised by my father as well. I remember, and it was very dysfunctional the way that I was raised, but I remember the boys telling me, okay, what is, I would ask them, what does it mean to be a man? Tell me about that. Tell me what it, what does it truly mean? And one thing that they would say was, you have to be the best athlete. You have to be the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. You have to be able to physically dominate. You need the six pack. You have to have the biceps. You have to, 
you have to be able to dunk and throw the ball harder than everyone else and jump higher and, and things like that. So it was about the physical thing. And then the boys thought it was about this sexual conquest. So it was about the number of girls that you can sleep with or in your friend's eyes, like the relative hotness of these girls. That meant that you were the man. And then it was how much can you accumulate the stuff, the money, the cars, the house, the sneakers, whatever. The kids thought that the the people that had more like abundance in that area were better men. And I challenged them to think about, well, if that's what you're basing your masculinity around and your manhood, what if those things are taken away from you? What if you're basing it on like your physical appearance and all of a sudden you can't train anymore because of a disease or say you're, you know, you're unable to, I, I don't know what kind of a show this is, but say you're unable to perform sexually at some point. And if you're, you're unable to do that and that's what you're basing your masculinity around 100%, what then if you lose your job or the stock market crashes and you're basing everything on your finances, what then? So we developed an idea about masculinity and what it meant to be a man around things that could not be taken away from them. So we developed an idea of intrinsic values of, of character, integrity, accountability to self and to others, self-discipline, doing things to help other people breathe easier because you were here on this planet. And when you base your idea of masculinity on those type of things, especially on service to others, they can never be taken away from you. And that's where the definition of masculinity came from. And so once the boys understood that, they were able to start to identify a lot of the things that they were experiencing were similar to the other boys in this group. And so it started to normalize their feelings around it. And once they were able to do that, they're like, okay, we can do this together. We can get through a lot of these challenges together. So long-winded way of saying, you know, those were the challenging things that the boys were experiencing and just that age range is, it's really challenging. So if you're a parent out there, just know you're not the only one that's going through it and just hold on tight. It's going to be okay. <laughs> you really need to hold on tight. And I, I wonder too, I, um, with boys, and I wonder if you notice this at all, I've heard that as far as emotions go, like girls are given the leeway to feel almost every emotion except anger. They're like, don't, you, it's not okay for you to be angry. Whereas boys are told to push down feelings like sadness and feelings um, like crying's not a masculine thing. So anger though, when they are expressing that, that's more acceptable as a boy emotion. Um, do you think that societal belief that we're now starting to make our like understand that that's been there and move beyond but do you think that has a role too in why there was so much of that going on with the discipline at school without a doubt and i think the pendulum has swung a couple different times it went mm -hmm. from like out our father my father's generation to where it was you were unable to show emotion and you were it was you were called derogatory terms if you showed any level of emotion. I think recently it swung where there was this idea of men they had to be so emotional that it was almost that they were losing their sense of self and masculinity because mm -hmm. their emotions totally took over. And I've seen this recently. A lot of men are kind of trailing behind their girlfriend or their wife, holding their purse with a little dog in a purple sweater and just brushing their hair, telling them they're pretty. And they're, they've lost, I mean, obviously you, you want to be romantic and things like that, but they've lost their self sense of what it means to be a man. I think too, there's this idea of, it's a good balance to have, a, it's like 
balance of strength and vulnerability. To understand that you need to be able to stand in your frame, you need to be steadfast, be able to lead, to um, to take on the hardships, to 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 be there to support your family, to be not only physically strong, because I do believe that there's a component to that in whatever capacity that you can do to be physically strong, um, but to be you know emotionally strong as well. But also understand that there is a vulnerability piece that you need to embrace as well, especially as the parent of if I'm the father of young men. I need to let them see me be vulnerable and my daughters as well, but they need to see me be vulnerable and understand it's okay to not be okay sometimes and to ask for help and to tell them when things are not going well or that you've struggled in a certain situation. And for boys, the thing that I think they struggle with most, and I would argue that most men, these are the two things that they would feel. Um, if you were to say like, what's your biggest fear, it would be to, to be seen as weak or incompetent by your, by your peers, by your significant other and by your children. If you feel that level of weakness, that, that would to me be uh, one of the things that men are really, really struggling with. And it starts in that adolescent timeframe. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much of that is from having unstable role models, whether present or not present that are unsure of their own masculinity. Right. So we're so many men are seeking where we've seen this big flux in in the pendulum because they're like well society told me i had to be like this and now society's telling me i have to be like this and they haven't found their own footing so they're watching their dad potentially or the man in their life be unsure of their own masculinity so i would imagine that would be also difficult (laughs) absolutely and and thing that i tell to parents all the time as i'm working i mean I, i work primarily with middle and high school age young men and their parents that are struggling with the relationship there. I tell the parents all the time, if you're going to give your child advice in a specific area or help them understand something, you need to make sure that you've done that work yourself. (laughs) Like don't go out into the storm without having never gone out into the storm before you have to, like you need to walk that first to be able to lead someone on that path. And if you haven't done that yet, do that work yourself or like enlist the, the help of other people who have done that. Um, it, it would be a disingenuous thing for me to say, all right, I'm going to teach my son how to, I don't know, uh, go out in the woods and chop down a tree and, you know, make a fire and skin a rabbit. And I've never skinned a rabbit before. And I'm going to go out and like flummox through it or whatever. I would want my son to see someone do that. I don't know. That was a totally random like (laughs) thing to pick out there, but someone who has gone through that. So some type of of mentor or coach that's gone through that experience, I could help them along the way. I think what happens a lot of times, especially with dads an ego gets in the way where if my son sees another man as this positive role model, then I'm not as good of a dad. Hmm. I would argue that you're a better dad. If you're recognizing that, listen, you have a lot of great strengths in your arsenal. There might be one or two things that you need assistance with. And how great for your son to see you reach out to someone and say, hey, listen, my son is struggling in this specific area. Can you help him? That communicates to me this level of vulnerability, but it also communicates a a strength that you're able to go ahead and help your son access whatever he needs to to be the best version of himself. Yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, Uh, we can't all be experts in everything, so... Find, find the people that do know more than you. So Dennis, tell us a little bit about what these, like the, the program that you started at school, 
before and after school? What, or what did that look like? Was it they just came in and shared and it was just a safe space? Or were you actually running through some sort of curriculum with them? Yeah. Um, thank you for, for the question there, too. It's it's glossed over. I've done, I've done a ton of podcasts. It's glossed over when I said I started this program and people are just like, OK, you've started this program. But what did it look like, sound like and feel like? So for, I ran a couple different iterations of it and um, it started with, it was before school. That was the only way I was really able to make it work was a before school program. And I would set up the room um, in a circle. And so the boys would get there even early and they would move the desks out of the way and set the chairs up in the circle. And there is power in a circle. There's power in that idea. So we're, there is not a front and a back. There are no more dominant sides. Like it is a powerful shape. And the wheel will go because of that, right? And so that's what we started out as. So set it up in a circle so everyone was able to see everyone else in the in the group. We started every single meeting with a with a handshake. And so once everyone was there, we stood up and we shook hands. So we had to shake hands with every other young man in the room. And when they shook hands, they would make eye contact and they would greet them by their name. And they would shake hands like they were going on a job interview or they were meeting their girlfriend's parents for the first time. And we would talk about that. We would talk about not, not the Vulcan death grip where you're trying to hurt the other person, but you want to give a handshake to where someone is. It's a memorable experience shaking your hand. It's not a dead fish or a wet noodle handshake. So it was we talked about that. And so the, we, we began and ended every single meeting with that ritualistic thing. We um, what was said there stayed there. Uh, we didn't use other people's names. We weren't talking about Becky or Mr. So-and-so we were, you know, we wouldn't, unless someone was there to defend themselves or whatever names were kept out of it. And unless it was something that was a danger to self or to others, that meeting space was sacred. So they felt confident that if we talked about something, it wasn't fodder for the lunch table that day. It was something that was, was held true. And they stuck to that. And there were some kids that didn't like each other that were in the group together. But when they were there, it was a, a feeling of this, this team, this camaraderie, this brotherhood. And then every single time that we met there, I brought something to the table. So there was some overarching idea or concept or lesson. So we would talk about the idea of responsibility. And that was, that was one day. So a 45 minute meeting, we would talk about responsibility, what it meant to them. I would bring a couple examples of different things. It could be in literature. It could be something in pop culture. It could be something in sports. Um, it might be a poem. It might be a book. Uh, then we would talk about the idea of, of daily habits. And then we would talk about the idea of resiliency. And what happened as we went along was I let the kids start leading certain pieces of it. And we could talk about just developmentally kids at that middle school and high school age range. They, they have five developmental needs that I feel it's really, really important. And for parents too, to make sure that you're meeting these needs for kids. And those needs are the need for autonomy to feel like their voice is a part of the space. The need for competence to feel like they are good at doing things, the need for fun and that, that need kids are going to get met in some capacity. So if we can do it in, in a safe space, uh, more power to us. We're, we're, we're winning in that capacity. The need for relationships and the need for safety. To, so to feel safe in whatever space. So what I would try to do is during the course of a meeting would be to meet those five needs, autonomy, competence, relationship, safety, and fun. If I'm meeting those needs and providing discussion topics for the boys, they started to lean into the conversations a little bit more, started to break down a lot of the social barriers that existed between the boys. And then they start talking about things that they're really scared about. 
were um, family dynamics that they haven't told other people. So it became this group therapy session with kids in you know seventh, eighth grade. And these are kids that are now 29, 30 years old that I'm still in communication with. And it's really powerful with, and it's really powerful to see how that community was built and established. And these kids are still talking to me about things that they learned when they were, you know, seventh or eighth grade, which is so cool for me to say. That's really cool. And um, I imagine some of them have become parents themselves in this time. So are they sharing with you too, what they've learned from you during that time and taking that into being parents? Well, they, I, a couple of the kids right now. And so the, the first group, 2005, the older group was 14 years old in 2005. So what is that? 17 years ago. Um, so they're 30, 31 years old. And a lot of them are having their first kid and the kid's like two or three years old. So there a lot of the comments that I've heard was, oh man, like, I remember what I was like when I was like 13, 14 years old, I'm in, I'm in for it. Do you have any <laughs> advice for me when the kids get to that middle school timeframe? But a lot of it right now is just sharing some joys that are going on in their life and just thanking me for being that safe space. A lot of these kids didn't have a father figure in their home or their father figure wasn't one that was leading them down the right path. So there was, they were seeing a lot of negative habits in their home life. And um, so being that, that mentor, that role model, that guide for kids that were going through something challenging for me was a really, really powerful thing. And something, if you were, if I were to ask me, if you were to ask me like my most impactful thing by far, it was building men doing that in schools. Yeah. I mean, I just, commending you for create being able to create that space mm -hmm. and for, like having them not go because i mean i was a teenager i was an athlete like going to football locker room like they're talking shit about oh yeah anything that's said ever so the fact that you could have kids come and share those vulnerable moments and not have it be repeated in the locker room or at the lunch table like that's a huge testament to you as a leader but also to the safe space that was created by all of them like that's a, that's just so cool I appreciate that. And the other thing that happened too, was if they broke that pledge, they were calling each other out on it and they mm -hmm. weren't, it wasn't like, they're like, I'm going to go tell Mr. Moralda about this. They'd be like, yo dude, you can't do that. Like we agreed to this shit. Like you like lock it down. You can't do that stuff right now. And these are kids that were like good friends. One. And I, I would always do some type of activity and team building thing as well. So I would add that into the 45 minutes. And I remember at the, at the very end, the last two meetings, we did a trust walk. And I had, so I had 14 year old kids walking around Bordentown city with blindfolds on and it's like, like busy streets. And I remember the people in the school were like, you're crazy. Like, this is insane. Like it's not going to work, but it did. And they, they took it really seriously. Ceremonial type things. Like I taught the kids how to tie a tie. I taught them how to change a tire. I taught them how to jump a car, things that, you know, I, I had to learn when my tire popped, like, you know, that's what I needed to learn. I was like, let's, so I had kids in the parking lot, jacking up my truck, learning how to, how to change a tire when they're 13, 14 years old. I, it was illegal for me to do that. I definitely, I definitely should not have had kids with jumper cables <laughs> in their hands. I know that for a fact, I would have gotten fired had that gotten out in some capacity, but the kids loved it. They really love that stuff. And then the last meeting we did an, an activity called talk behind your back. And so we took turns, every kid turned around and faced outside of the circle. And then we would go around the circle and everyone would say something about that young man. And it could be positive. It could be negative, but they all had an opportunity to say something about them. And they were every single time the kids were just in tears, things that it could have been 
you know, one kid was there for another when he didn't even realize it. Like I was, I was going through a really tough time. My parents were going through a divorce and you were there to support me. And I never told you how much that meant to me. And there were other kids were like, listen, we used to be best friends. And now like you left me for this more popular peer group and it really hurt. And, you know, I wish we could get back. And so those things were happening. And I'll tell you, like to have a situation where you have 13, 14 year old boys feeling confident and comfortable enough to share things like that, like really emotional things. It didn't happen overnight. It was definitely done intentionally, but I would sit back and like, wow, this is really something. This is really, really powerful. So it, it just, it, it gave that opportunity for the kids to do that. So I, I jumped in there to, to throw that in, but it's, um, it's one of those memories that I'll never forget about building men. Yeah. And, and the, the five needs, the autonomy, competency, relationships, fun, safety, I would argue those are just human needs, right? As adults. Yep. I, I mean, I want all those things yes. as, well. yes. as a female adult, yep. Yep. you know, so really like the capacity, I'm wondering, are the adults now, the men that you worked with, that you're still in contact with, have they talked about how establishing those things at 13 have has changed like are they seeing differences in their peers that didn't have this experience when they were 13 and i never called it i never said okay you're um, we're meeting your need for autonomy here because right. i'm asking your opinion about these things they just i think what it was was kids need to be known right mm-hmm. kids need to be known i do an i do an activity right now with teachers i forget the name of the activity there i'm not I, don't, I need to figure out who to give credit to but i asked teachers think about your class last year Think about the 25 kids in your class, write them down on a piece of paper. Like, don't look at your roster, like know the 25 kids in your class. The next thing I want you to do right next to that is write down something that you know about that kid, whatever it is, something that you couldn't just read off of their cumulative file, something that you know about the kid. And then next to that is, are you confident that that kid knows that you know that about them? And if they're not, you need some, you need to do some work there. Then I would, I tell them to close your eyes and think about that kid. Can you see them smiling in your head? Like, can you picture them smiling? Can you picture them inquisitive and thinking? And if you can't, did you provide an experience for that kid in your class that they were laughing and smiling and that they were really thinking? Because if you can't do those things, take time to self-reflect as an educator and be more intentional with those things. So what I would do is I would be intentional about it. But as we're meeting these needs for the students, what I was doing was providing community for them and helping them understand that I knew them and I cared about them. And that's what they took. You know, they, they knew that I knew them and that I cared about them and I wanted to see them succeed. And I think that they took that understanding, recognizing that when they go into any environment, it could be workplace environment, it could be a personal relationship, giving of themselves to the other person and really leaning into conversations, being president and, and helping other people know that you know them. And I think that that's one thing that the boys were able to take away. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm like... Such a big fan. So like yeah. blown away by the work that you're you have done and that you are doing and the stamp that you're making on these on these boys' lives. It's just thank you. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, I've worked with boys that age. So <laughs> I <laughs> I understand how like th- their energy levels and what they can bring. So yeah, knowing that you can plant that seed so young, it's cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, if there isn't a program like this, because I'm guessing, I mean, I've never heard of anything in a school. I've been an educator and, you know, my kids have been around schools before. And um, if it doesn't exist for families and somebody's listening and they're like, I want I want to be able to start instilling some of these things. What are some things that parents can maybe do at home 
um, that they can start kind of doing some of the things that you were doing more intentionally than maybe they're currently doing. Right. Uh, Getting your kids involved in two different things. Like one, the kids should be involved in something where they need to rely on themselves. So some individual thing, it could be a sport and activity where their reliance is, is on self. So it's teaching them that there are going to be times that chips are down and you have to be able to step up. So I mentioned before, my daughter is wrestling now, right? And we were getting to uh, before the episode started. So it's a group, it's a team sport, but it's also an individual sport. Like if she doesn't prepare and train or whatever, she's not going to be successful individually, but she also is relying on a group. I would also say, get your kid involved in some community team, sport group activity, something where they can be involved um, one with, with another group. And for boys, especially boys need to be with other boys. They really do. They need to, boys are different. We're just, you know, they're idiots. They, you know, they, they, you know, rough house and they do stupid things. And, but there's that power in the the community and going through things together and, and not have to worry about impressing the other sex during that time as well. So what I would recommend is if there's nothing like this in, in your child's school, I mean, definitely have them reach out to me. I could, I could mentor people through doing what I did. It's a little more challenging right now to get something like this started in the school. I feel like the, um, the social norms in a school prevent a lot of these things from going on. Um, uh, schools that I'm working with right now, they're definitely more uh, progressive in nature by having a boys group. They also have a girls group and they have you know, groups for LGBTQ or people that identify students that identify in another capacity, but it is something where it, I think it's needed. I really do. I'll be starting up a um, an online group for young men. I have a middle school group and a high school group. It'll be starting up at the uh, end of February, beginning of March. It's called the Foundation, and it's it's a an online. It's a virtual group for young men, and it'll meet twice a month. So there's also that I'm, shameless plug right there that, that mm-hmm. there are opportunities like that as well online for kids to do things like that. Um, but I do feel like just something for them to be a part of in that capacity. Yeah. Before um, we started the episode, you mentioned like wanting to talk about single moms and how to support them. Yeah. Let's dive into that a little bit, because I'm sure there are a few listening that are like, I don't have a male role model and and I'm trying my best. (laughs) So I, I just got done um, reading this book. I'm going to pull it up real quick because Mm -hmm. I I, want to give the author credit. It's called um, raising emotionally intelligent uh, raising emotionally talent, excuse me, raising emotionally strong boys. Um, and the author is David Thomas. I don't want, so I want to take credit for this. I want to give him credit. It has a little bit of a Christian slant to it. Uh, but the, the ideas are pretty strong, but he talks a lot about the, the impact that, you know, moms have on their sons. Right. And so for boys, mom is their safety. From the time that they're born, mom is there is truly their safety net. And what I think happens with boys and their moms as boys get into that adolescent time frame, those teenage years, is mom can really become a going from a sounding board to a punching bag. And there are times that the boys will take out their anger on their mothers. And it's like I call it, it's like anchoring. What a, when a boy is going through something really challenging, what he wants is the mom to be there, to be the audience. And so he'll wrap the anchor around mom's leg and jump into the water. And like, listen, if I'm sinking, you're coming with me, mom. And so the advice that I give to moms in situations like that is what, if your boy is going through something challenging like that, 
And he's just like, it's like this blame and shame game. It's either someone else's fault or I'm no good. I can't do anything right. What he wants is you to be like, oh, baby, you know, it's okay. Mommy's here to blah, blah, blah. Like what you need to do in situations like that is walk away. Like, don't give him the audience. Like, take take steps away from him and let him know, like, I can be your sounding board, but I will not be your punching bag. And I am I want to help you solve problems for yourself. So for, for moms of teenage boys, it's really challenging because they need to be able to solve these problems by themselves. What you want to do is help them. Like, I call it, it's like raising rare young men. And the rare is an acronym. And the first R is, is resourceful. So resourceful is emotionally resourceful. So when they're going through something challenging, do they always have to lean on mom as their crutch or mom and dad as their crutch? Or can they sit with it and try to figure out why they're feeling a certain way? And then it could also be just resourceful in getting things done. You know, if they, if they need to get something for school, is it like, mom, I can't find this. Well, then you're not going to have it today. Right. If, and if, I, I do this with my own kids. If, if they forget something tough shit, then you won't have it. Well, what, then I'm going to fail. Well, then you're not going to forget it next time. <laughs> so that's something people are like, wait, you do that. You let your kids fail. I'm like, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Letting your kids fail is a good thing. Letting your kids figure out that if they don't prepare in a proper way, there's a consequence that there's a logical consequence for their lack of preparation. Better to find it out when they're 12 or 13 years old rather than when they're 27 and they're just figuring things out for the first time. So the first R is 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 resourcefulness. The second one is to be aware. Like, how are their emotions? How are their, uh, the way that they are communicating? How is that impacting their surroundings, other people? So to be aware of that. The second one is to be, uh, the third, second R is to be resilient. So R-A-R, resilient. Um, and that is, that speaks for itself. Like, how do you, how do you handle things when the chips are down? If you fail, can you fail forward? When and to me, a lot of the guys that I have on the podcast and people that I interview on the podcast are people that are truly resilient people that have gone through something challenging in their life and have had to pick themselves up and, and dust themselves off. And then the last one is empathetic um, and to, to help children understand, like putting truly putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And that to me, that's that's a rare um, adolescent young man to be resourceful, to be aware, to be resilient and to be empathetic. And. What you said too with the the mom, like the relationship with the mom, um, it's setting them up for the relationship in the future with um with a future partner. And so if mom is not being that punching bag and saying, Hey, yep. and they're learning all those rare qualities, that sets them up for finding a suitable partner who will instead of meeting all their needs and being like, Oh honey, do you need this? What can I do for you? Is instead an actual partner. Like I'm here by your side. Um, We're working as a team. So yeah. Giving that those tools to moms to help with their teenage sons really helps them in their future relationships. Absolutely. Like if boys don't get, get to that point where they're able to do things by themselves, they'll transfer those ideas to future relationships. So if mom is a punching bag, their future partner will be a punching bag as well. Quick piece of advice for, for moms as you're talking to your, to your son about something challenging. One thing I'll say is don't, don't have an emotional conversation when you are full of emotion yourself. So if you're really, really upset about something that's going on, 
um, or you're really sad about something that's going on, take time for yourself to fully process through and then come into that conversation at a like at a place of peace. Because if you're emotional, when you're having the emotional conversation, it, it typically won't go as well for you as if you take a couple beats for yourself. Don't discipline your child when you're emotional. Like if they come in late from something, be like, you know what? I'd like to talk to you about this. Go up in your room or whatever, or I'll, I'm, I'm going for a walk around the neighborhood. I'm going to come back in an hour and we'll talk about this. When you're able to, to regulate yourself in a spot, and we all know like the importance of breathing, how, like how that impacts us. So if you need to have those challenging conversations, they don't need to happen in that exact moment. So make sure that you're in a good headspace. And then if your kid is, is dysregulated and they're like, they're, they're upset. They're, you know, they're tuned up about something. Boys are like the Hulk, you know, they're, they're trying, they, they want to do good, but they're trying to tame this monster that's inside of them. Right. So helping them understand, all right, I want to listen to you. I really want to hear what you have to say. Your voice is important to me. The way that you're communicating now, it's not something that, that I'm going to listen to. So let's talk about this at, at eight o'clock tonight, where We'll, we'll talk about this again tomorrow morning when everybody's had a, had a chance to calm down. That's way more powerful and impactful, you know, rather than doing it in the moment. And I'm, I'm a victim of it myself. Like I do that with my own kids and I have to remind myself constantly, not right now. It's okay if you have that conversation later. And the last quick tip that I would say for parents of, of teenage boys, and this, this works with everyone, but when you're having a difficult conversation, go for a walk, go for a walk with them. Don't have the conversation where you are sitting on opposite sides of the table. For them, that is a very confrontational posture. And they're going into the conversation to compete, to prove their, their innocence or to defend themselves. So what I recommend is go for a drive and have them sit in the front seat with you or go for a walk around the neighborhood. This way, you're both looking at things in the same perspective. And it sounds silly, but it absolutely works. When you're shoulder to shoulder with your kid and you're walking and talking about something, now they're, they're hearing your voice and they're able to, even if they start getting upset, it's not like they're like, oh, they're going to think, you know, or I'm crying right now or whatever. It's, it's way more impactful if you go shoulder to shoulder and go for a walk with your kid as well. I think those are awesome tips. <laughs> yeah. As we wrap up this conversation, um, Kristen, you have any other questions, anything we missed, anything we want to make sure we talk about? We talked about such awesome stuff. Yeah. There's been a lot of great stuff. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about the last thing that you said about the, the shoulder to shoulder and how important that is. So yeah, just one more emphasis on that because thinking about it too, like sitting across from somebody is somewhat like going to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're going to be immediately defensive. Like, what did I do wrong? And my husband and I have had some of our toughest conversations walking and they've gone so much smoother. Um, and I'm able to breathe through the tough parts a lot better when we're walking shoulder to shoulder instead of sitting across the table. So yeah, I like, just want to put a little more emphasis on how how important that is and how it works so much better. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Dennis, anything else you want? I mean, you dropped so many beautiful nuggets there. Any other things we want to make sure we, we talk about? Um, yeah. I mean, the, um, the podcast I have out, I released one episode a week this past episode. Well, the episode 173, I've done one a week for the last two and a half years episode 173. It's called the pillars of masculinity. And what I did was I, I did a live event last year 
uh, was end of December. And I invited people that I've had on the podcast. And I said, give one piece of advice to a kid in high school right now. And I had 15 people send me a quick video. And of those video clips, I, you know, I spliced them down to like two or three minute clips and I put them together in a couple different areas. So it was about accountability. It was about purpose. It was about identity. Um, it was about self-discipline and it's really cool. So the, the podcast episode is out right now, but other than that, I've done, uh, I've interviewed some really, really interesting people from all over the world, talk about their own journey and how they figured out what masculinity is, their journey in education, um, and then giving advice to, to young men and parents of young men who are pretty much the audience of the podcast. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing amazing work. Keep it up. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we do, we have two more questions, right? <laughs> so yeah, sure. yeah. Um, the f- first one is, um, so other than going to building men and listening to the podcast, which I highly recommend, um, where else can they find you to, um, reach out to you or to learn more about what you're up to? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity, by the mm-hmm. way, to, to promote. So the website is buildingmen.io. And then on there, um, there's, you can find out about my, my individual coaching that I work with young men. And then also the, the program is called The Foundation, which will be starting up in the beginning of March. And that is the, the online group coaching for young men. Um, I'm the most active on Instagram and it's building.men. I post every single day on there and it, it could be a clip from the interview that I just did or just a you know, poignant piece of advice or a lesson for young men that I put up on the, on the Instagram page. And then what we also like to ask of each of our guests is what is an actionable item or a piece of advice that you would offer to parents to, yeah, in, for you, how about in building young men? Actionable item. I love this. So the last episode I asked, the last question I asked at the end of every podcast episode is what's one thing that someone could do right now if they press pause that will change the trajectory of their life. And I've had 170 something different answers every time I ask that question. So I, I love the opportunity to, to share. I think the thing is to, for, for parents is you're doing the best you possibly can. You know, you're, it's really, really hard being a parent. Um, you know, there's a ton of books out there, but no one has ever met your child and they've never walked in your shoes and they don't have your set of circumstances and life experiences and, and your, uh, trauma and your triggers. And but so I would say one, give yourself some grace and understand that you're doing the best that you possibly can um, to understand that your, your past experiences, your traumas, they're not your fault, but they're your responsibility to, to deal with. So those things are not perpetuated. And then it's your privilege to overcome those things. So that your, your children don't have to go through something similar. Um, so I would say, give yourself some grace, understand those types of things. Um, and then if you need help, reach out to someone who, who might have experience in the specific area. Like I mentioned before, it's, it's not a sign of weakness to, to reach out to someone for help. I mean, for my own kids, not only, you know, do they have their individual coaches, like they're in programs to help them become the best versions of themselves, because something that you hear from mom or dad, you know, you could be telling my kid the same exact thing, but it just hits a little bit differently when they're hearing it from another voice. So it's okay when you reach out to someone for assistance. And hey, if you don't know how to change a tire, maybe learn how to change it together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. From somebody who knows how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for the conversation today. That was awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. 
Thank you for listening to the Purposeful Parent Podcast. We had a really great time talking with our guests today and hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Make sure to check out the show notes to get more information on today's guests and to check out what they are up to. To learn more about Melissa and Kristen, follow The Purposeful Parent on Instagram. You can also check out what Melissa is up to by following Inner Architect on Instagram. And to keep up with Kristen, follow Language Ninjas on Instagram. We'd love to hear how you are choosing to purposefully parent, so please feel feel free to reach out and say hi.